Welcome to Minter Dialogue, episode number 70. This interview is with R.J. Friedlander, the brother of a friend from Austin, Texas, and who's doing great things in the ratings and review area for hotels based out of Barcelona. R.J. has a long history of digital in business and understands deeply the new economy, as well as the challenges of implementing such open ratings and review systems in business. Come listen to RJ's insights, truly worthwhile for all industries, not just tourism. Welcome to the Minter Dialogue Internet Show, where we discuss brand marketing with a focus on all things digital. I am Minter Dial, author of TheMindset.com, that's T-H-E-M-Y-N-D-S-E-T, where branding gets personal. You'll find the show notes on the blog for the upcoming interview. Let's cut to quick. Enjoy the show. So, welcome to the Minter Dialogue Show. Today, piped in from Barcelona, Spain, RJ Friedlander. Please tell us who you are and what you are up to down in Barcelona. Hi, Minter. This is, as you said, my name is RJ Friedlander. I'm uh, an American who's been fortunately uh, stuck here in Barcelona for the last uh, nearly 14 years. And... Um, what I do is uh, I'm the founder and CEO of a company called ReviewPro, and ReviewPro is a leading international provider of online reputation and social media analytics for the hotel industry. So basically what we do is we allow or enable hotels to listen to everything that's being said about them on the social web from reviews to Twitter to Facebook, et cetera, et cetera. So we're talking about more than 500 million social media mentions about hotels, and what we do is we provide analysis, customer intelligence, and competitive benchmarking to help hotels leverage the social web and hopefully deliver better guest experiences by doing so. Very cool. All right, just before we get into that, I wanted to just uh, circle back on how you got to Barcelona and, and, and the, the, uh, the, the birth of this company. So you, you, we were just talking before the interview that you arrived uh, at the end in 1998 or 99, and you started working for the media company. Uh, right? Can you tell us a little bit about your history so we understand that? Yeah, absolutely. So my background uh, prior to coming to Spain was in digital media. Uh, I used to work for a company called CMP Media, and this is I was fortunate enough to work in uh, media, which then was magazines um, and trade shows when the B2B internet began basically in 1995, right? So mm-hmm. from 95 to 99, I was lucky to sort of be in, in, in the middle of what was going on in in. Uh, in technology and in B2B internet development. So from there, I was offered a job, as you said, to run digital media for a fantastic company called Grupo Planeta, which is one of the largest media companies, not only in Spain, but in in the Spanish-speaking world, right? So um, I was hired just as they were getting ready to uh, more seriously embrace uh, digital media. So I was hired as the managing director of uh, the digital space for them uh, within Planeta di Gustini. And, and then I went on to become CEO of digital media for the group, right? So mm-hmm. it was back in the early days when, you know, um, the, effectively, I remember one of the things, one of my uh, one of my claims to fame is I was the, the, the very first client of Google in Spain. So to put this into context, in 19... 19- I had some some uh, a company that we had set up, and we wanted to use Google, uh, basically um, AdWords before it was even AdWords, right? And we, uh, uh, I was trying to engage and and buy ad space from them, and this was before Google even had an office in Europe, and um, so we were the literally the first um, 
advertisers in Google. And so. so when you when you arrive, I mean, because media, why why it's interesting to talk about the media part of your career is that media, of course, the front line of the transformation. So you arrived, and I'm going to imagine there weren't a million other internet geeks around, or you know, people who are familiar with this. How was it about transforming their group into internet? What what allowed for that to succeed? Yeah, it, well, first of all, it was a slow process. Uh, nothing happened sort of overnight by any means. Um, and also, it, it was interesting because um, the um, you know the, what is the saying that the cobblers the cobblers yeah, kids the worst around shoe, there, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, in in Spanish, there's the Spanish version of that is. Um, in the home of the silversmith, the family eats with wooden spoons, right? And the reason I'm giving that um, sort of um, analogy is it was a little bit what I found when I arrived at Planeta. You know, you've got this amazing media company, which you think you're just going to have content everywhere. And it turned out that while there was a lot of content, a lot of the content had been licensed and was was basically had com- uh, commercially was viable only in certain channels. So, mm-hmm. you know, there were some initial challenges that I hadn't anticipated. But um, again, it's an, it's an amazing group with amazing assets, and so we 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 sort of built from there. And we, um, you know, we 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 started with the things that were sort of closest to their core business and could leverage sort of. Um, Across different business units, we launched a number of companies, and then as those things started to work, we we built uh, an online digital agency to generate leads and help uh, drive business in the traditional business. So it kind of rolled from there. So it was it, again, it was a it was really a fantastic experience because it's a company that's owned by one individual, um, Jose Manuel Lara who is very, very involved in the business, um, has one of the most spectacular work ethics of anyone I've ever met in my life. And, you know, the fact that it's um, so big, so many assets and owned by, by one person, you know, that in a way um, that, that, that was really interesting because in the end you only had to convince one, one individual and things happened. So. And what, what extent that being a pri- – is it privately owned? It's privately owned, yeah. yeah. So to what extent was being privately owned – making the transformation easier as opposed to being publicly owned, quarterly sales driven? Yeah, well, I think that part of that is, 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 as you say, the difference of a public company versus a private company. And part of that is just, you know, the, the management approach and the strategic focus of the individual running the organization. Right. Um, so, you know, I think that as you, um, allude to the, the, the fact that it was it is a private company, um, and you know, and that he controlled it. We could look at things in a way that weren't necessarily, um, you know, so short term. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, in that sense, it was. It, 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 I think it was a. It, it was an, an ideal situation to not have to be you know, sort of um, pandering to quarterly results, as, as you say. The other thing, though, is culturally, um, you know, there was a lot more skepticism. Um, I would say probably within that organization than you would have found in media companies in the U.S. and other larger markets because, you know, um, Spain <laughs> Spain was much further behind in terms of Internet development. The market, while, you know, Spanish language is one of the most spoken languages on the planet, in, in, in Internet terms, it was an interesting place to be because you've got – Spanish language um, is limited only to in Europe, obviously, to Spain. And so, you know, on the content side, you know, the content you generated 
it, it, you've got 40, 42 million people in Spain, so it's, it's not that big of a market, right? And then when you look at the Spanish market and content on a global basis, a lot of the traffic and a lot of the, uh, the let's say, the, the online business that you develop becomes very difficult to monetize because at least back in those days, it was difficult to monetize traffic in countries like Paraguay and mm-hmm. Colombia, you know, and since then, it's, I'm sure it's much better. So basically, and then, um, you know, in e-commerce was a, definitely a challenge back then because the Spanish postal system was, was, and I believe still continues not be, you know, sort of, um, as efficient as in other markets. So what happens is, you know, that has a, that has a bearing on e-commerce. So, you know, I think that, uh, Jose Manuel had a, had a lot of vision. Um, you know, he had a lot of interest to do things, try things, but again, it, I think that we were a little bit kind of, um, you know, influenced by the fact that we were in a small country and sure. a small market that was unproven, right? What was it, um, of the, of the many projects that you managed, what would you be, what would be the marquee project for you when you were there that you'd like to, uh, that you, you want to remember? Yeah, I, th- I think there were there were basically three, and I'll be brief on this. Um, one was a company we bought called Thayac, and Thayac was a um, a distance learning company that was basically um, you know how to become a plumber, how to become a hairdresser, how to learn how to guitar, mm-hmm. sort of these sort of old school um, distance learning. And we bought that company. It was a well known brand, um, had fairly significant revenue, but um, you know was was basically Jose Manuel saved the company by taking it over. And so it had significant losses and we worked and internet became an integral part of turning that company around. So that was great. That That's something that, that was great to be a part of and something that I think we were, we were all proud of. Um, secondly was I, I mentioned before that we started to get very good at generating leads through Thayac, right? So like how to use the internet to get people to fill out a coupon, they called it a coupon, basically a lead form. So um, I created a company that was effectively a digital agency that offered services throughout the rest of the group. So many of the companies in the group were direct marketing. So, you know, this was called Ulysses Interactive. And that was a tremendous success because not only, it, you know, we had significant revenue as an agency, mm-hmm. but, it, but it was empowering and helping the rest of the group to grow. So that was great. And then lastly, there was, um, with this knowledge that we had about what, what kind of products worked and what kind of products didn't work and how to gather leads, we set up a number of companies in distance education, online learning. And so those were the three things that I think that, that, that you know, I, w- I feel most proud of being a part of. There. That's cool. All right. Um, so now Review Pro. So you started this up in 2009 uh, and you find ways to do l- social learning, uh, listening and regrouping all the reviews. Uh, you, you've got clients around the world. You've got 70 employees, you said, uh, right? Correct. How... Um, how did you decide on the hotel industry as a as a sector? Right. So basically, what um, what, what we what we felt was becoming clear by two thousand eight was that user generated content was going to change everything. Right. That um, you know people sharing their opinions, their likes, and their dislikes was was either going to be an enormous opportunity or a significant risk for companies, for people, for products, et cetera. So I, mean, I think the, 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 the genesis was sort of um, that, that premise that, that user-generated content was just getting started and was gonna, it was sort of an unstoppable train. And the reason that we focused on the hotel industry was, you know, if you, if, if you look at back then, so today it's, it's, it's a lot more obvious than it was back in 2007 when we were kicking around the idea, right? But um, 
even back then, um, you had primarily TripAdvisor then. Today, there's hundreds of sites where people leave reviews. But back then, it was primarily TripAdvisor. So, you know, we saw that it was clear that, that, that user-generated content reviews was influencing and impacting individuals on the discovery process. So we felt that that was only going to grow. It grew in a way that we, um, we never imagined, you know, we, it, it, because back then, uh, as I said, there was obviously the challenge of, of limited sources. And today there's over a hundred OTAs, you know, sites like Foursquare didn't exist. Mm-hmm. Uh, Facebook, nobody, at least not, not us, nobody uh, around here expected that that would have an impact on hotels. So, you know, the, 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 imp, the influence of reviews, the number of sources and uh, the opportunity and or threat for hotels turned out to be a much bigger game than we'd expected. But that was a little bit of the backstory. Uh, so when you go to see a hotel, I mean, you presumably, you know, visited pretty much all the big ones. You, you propose a package that is global. How do, how do you, how do you, how do you maneuver uh, or, you know, cause you, you have the decision-making process within so many organizations. Sometimes it's country by country. Other ones have corporate, then the corporate has to impose it on their subsidiaries and that becomes a headache in its own way. What's, what's your general approach to trying to get the package in? Right, exactly. So it really depends on the size of the hotel. So you, as you mentioned, there's clearly um, a number of really big brands, right? And many of those big brands are in the U.S. But the hotel industry, uh, interestingly enough, is very much um, – there was this book by Chris Anderson ages ago, the, the Long Tail, right? Oh, yeah. I was with Chris in Moscow a couple of weeks ago. Okay, great. Well, so it turns out that the hotel industry is an amazing example of a long tail industry. Well, you know, we all think of the Hiltons, the Hyatts, and the Wyndhams of the world. You know, depending on how you exactly want to define a hotel, there's somewhere between 250,000 and 600,000 hotels, right? And it turns out the vast majority of those are actually small and me- well, medium, small, and very small chains. So it's a very, very fragmented, very, very international um, market. Um, obviously, the U.S. is much more brand-centric, uh, but it's, it, on a global basis. So um, the, the answer to your question depends a lot on who you're going after, right? Um, so what we, what we found was the, the uh, effectively we aggregate these hundreds of millions of social mentions. And in the end, what we are is a customer analytics tool. So we're a B2B software-as-a-service product. Um, we offer a number of versions of the product that run from 19 euros or $25 a month up to 99 euros or 100 and I think it's $39 a month. Mm-hmm. So it, it's a it's a product that has um, a, a very accessible price point for any hotelier. I mean, most of our clients have a positive ROI within two months. The majority of clients that they sell one one extra room night in, uh, in a given month, it's already got a positive ROI. So basically what we do is depending on the, you know, the, the client. So if you're talking about medium or large chains, we generally have a two-tiered approach. As, as you suggested, we, we, we um, uh, commercially attack on the corporate level, but also uh, talk with the individual hotels. And, you know, and depending on their structure, sometimes they buy, you know, we, we work with here in Spain, we've got about 1,500 hotels. Um, we've got, um, I don't know, it's, it's, it's something like 22 of the top 30 chains in Spain, right? So most of those buy, they make the decision for the entire chain. And then we've, our biggest client is the Louvre Hotel Group in, down the road from you in Paris. Uh-huh. And, you know, they, they, that's a two-prong approach. They buy a corporate dashboard, but then the individual hotels also sign up. All right. So we are talking, obviously, about tourists who come to hotels. I mean, they can be local and foreign. 
How many languages do you cover? Right. So we aggregate um, reviews from 103 sources in 40 different languages, right? So, and I, it may be, it may be 43 or 44 to be exact, but mm-hmm. so well, that, that's effectively the value that we offer is, is it starts with aggregating all this information, but, but the real value is putting context and analysis that helps hotels whether they're in our smallest, our client has 12 rooms and our biggest client has 1,100 hotels, right? So what it does is allows them to understand current guest satisfaction levels, identify through quantitative and qualitative analysis where they need to focus operationally, service, or product-wise to improve the guest experience Mm -hmm. and how they can drive revenue, right? So that's that's the key is having all all the relevant sources, all the relevant languages, and then the analysis to make it very, very simple to turn social media insight into action. So when you are, you you clearly have an ROI uh, approach. Can you talk us through exactly how you have managed to, you know, quantify the ROI approach? Yeah, it's interesting. Lots of, oftentimes when people talk about ROI and social media, what they're really talking about is spending ad dollars on, on, um, Facebook or you know other social platforms right. and trying to get it. so I, I think that that's interesting. But where we find where ROI comes from is is how can you how can you make changes operationally, uh, service wise, product wise, respond to guests in a way that drives sales, right? So so while um, social media ROI and campaigns is important, where we find that it's much easier to measure and to in fact have a positive ROI is that related to sales. So the way that we help our clients, we help them do that in a number of ways. We help them increase conversion rates on their own website. So, I mean, obviously anything that's sold through their own website has uh, lower, they don't have to pay uh, commissions to, you know, online travel agents. So that's attractive. So it's basically increased conversion rates on their own website. It's how to optimize um, I don't say maximize, but how to optimize online distribution because there's a lot of different OTAs or online travel agencies. Some have higher commissions, some have lower. So we help them to optimize that. And then lastly, we help them to um, maximize, this is an industry buzz term, they call it RevPAR, like revenue per available room, right? Uh-huh. So by measuring guest satisfaction and their pricing yeah. and guest satisfaction and the pricing of their competitors – we can we can help them understand if they've optimized the, 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 basically um, between price and guest satisfaction to what extent they're maximizing pricing. Yeah, totally. So, when you uh, give your advice and you're using the reviews, do you also use this actually on usability? So, web usability when you talk about the conversion, how, how do you approach understanding or improving the conversion? Right. Sure. So, the way that we help them increase conversion is that today guests. It depends on the study, but up to 93% of um, individuals, they um, they say that they're highly influenced by reviews, right? And the average this is a, this was in fact a study by Google. The the average consumer visits 22 websites when they're making a decision about. Last data point is 50%. In fact, 53% of consumers, if there's no review of a hotel, if, there, if a hotel doesn't have a review, they they just won't book it. They'll book something else, right? So mm-hmm. so what happens is 
uh, reviews play an, a very, very um, important role in the discovery and decision-making process of I'm going to go to Hotel A or B, and I'm, or I'm willing to spend 50 or 100 or 500, right? So basically what we do is we allow our clients to publish um, uh, our global review index, which is a general online quality score that you know, com- um, Cornell has used it in all its uh, social media um, uh, studies, Major major technology companies in the industry. So this global review index is basically the industry standard. Uh, if you're a wine drinker, the wine world has the Parker got score, yeah, sure. right? Right. So think of it like we're the Parker score for hotels, That's the B two B version, right? So what happens is we we they can publish their their global review index score and other data and information and publish reviews in their website. So effectively, what it does is it increases conversion because if you go to a hotel's website. You're, you're, if you don't have a synthesis of what the social web is saying about this hotel sure. in an independent, non-biased way, you're going to go somewhere else, right? right? So th- that, that's what we do is we, we help them to minimize the, 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 as I say in Spanish, the fuga, you know, the, the people, the, the, the abandon rate, right? Sure. right? And so by, by, by providing, you know, what's, what's the old saying? If you can't bring the mountain to Moses. Exactly. Um, so so that basically, we, that's what we allow them to do in terms of social content. Yeah, I've, I've spo- I mean, I, I, for example, I assume you, you would imagine Bazaar Voice is sort of a competitor sure. for you, right? Um, to what extent, what sort of challenges have you faced in <laughs> having an unbiased review uh, system? Because, I mean, you know, the, the usual story, having worked in business for many years, managers might be a little bit fearful of negative commentary. Talk us through some of the uh, in the example that comes to mind. You're probably not going to cite who it is, uh, that where you sort of overcame that sort of management negativity to open reviewing. Yeah, well, I think there's two issues. One of one issue that comes up frequently is um, review fraud, right? So you know, there are people that say oh, I don't believe in reviews because people write fake reviews. So that's one one sort of point that comes up. And then the other, uh, as you said, people that just don't believe reviews have that big of an impact. Um, I, I think I'll start with the second one. I mean, today, any any uh, sort of marginal hotelier and above knows perfectly well that it has a, uh, that the reviews have a huge impact across the organization. So in sales and marketing, operations and quality, revenue, investment decisions, you know, some of the most, uh, some of the biggest REITs and, um, and uh, investment companies in the world by analysis of our, uh, that we, we create reports on properties and portfolios before they buy it because they know it influences the asset values, right? Mm-hmm. So I think that second point, the industry has pretty much gotten over uh, and understands and you know, with regards to review uh, fraud, the reality is is uh, the majority of this, the review sources are online travel agencies. You know, like Booking.com or Expedia. And if you didn't book the if you didn't book the hotel, you can't leave a review. So by definition, they're they're verified. And TripAdvisor, who is let's say potentially more open for um, you know for for question in that area. You know, we work very closely with TripAdvisor, and they spend tremendous resources um, and, and are very, very committed to, uh, you know, weeding out fraud. So, you know, while there could be a, a random or there could be – I'm not saying there's no fake reviews, but, you know, as a system, uh, the integrity is, I believe, very, very high. And I think TripAdvisor does a really good job to weed out and get rid of fake reviews. So. Well, that's good to hear. But if we just go back to the second point – so that everyone's got the idea that reviews are important. That I don't under I don't underestimate. 
on the other hand, I, I would still imagine that there's some managers who say, no, no, listen, hey, RJ, that comment, I want that one out. So to what extent that kind of, uh, you know, wanting to uh, arbitrate or eliminate sure. uh, negative reviews still yeah. exists? Right, exactly. So, I mean, I think what happens is hoteliers, um, you know, car companies, companies that make any product or service, us as individuals today with sites like LinkedIn and the whole social, the, the social web has created a situation where we all, individuals, professionals, and, and companies, we live in, an, in, in, a, in a world that's almost scary how transparent it is, right? So that creates opportunity or a threat, so, depending on where you sit above or below the line of mediocrity, right? right? So, so I, I, mean, I find it very exciting. You know, so we live in a world that if you're mediocre or worse in anything, it sucks to be you. That's you know right. what I mean? Because everybody's going to know it, right? And so, but that creates an opportunity for people to be great, hotels to be great. And so, what happens generally is hotels realize this, and so they spend. You know, of course, they want to get rid of comments, but what they realize is that, that, that you know. If someone writes a negative comment, you can do whatever you, you – you can make an effort to try to bury that or you can do what makes more sense is why don't you try to be great, right? right. Why don't you try to deliver exceptional service? Why don't you try to exceed expectations? And by doing that, people are by definition going to write about you and that that's what rises to the top. So what, what we find is that most um, cl- clever or savvy hoteliers, you know, they realize that a negative review can happen. Um, if there's no negative review, that's, they're probably, uh, you know, it, 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 it creates more doubt. Right. Yeah, it creates more doubt. So the important thing isn't that a negative review comes in and, the, 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 and trying to bury it. It's how do you respond internally? If someone complains about, you know, the towels were dirty, or, you know, then did you go in and respond to that review and say, hey, you know, thanks for that comment. You know, yeah. you're right. We're, we're sorry that happened. Yeah. We should have caught it, but we didn't. But you know what? We've changed the towels, right? Yeah, right. And next time you come, we'd like to invite you for... That's cool. So actually, would you, would you, I mean, listening to you, I know a lot of companies that still are not that evolved, but it sounds like, you know, from your discourse, you really end up taking reviews as a, as a way to change internal operations and, and of course, to help other customers want to buy more. But you, you, you use the information more for changing the way we are internally and improving processes and so on and so forth. Before, if you just think of it as a way to drive more business, well, I think it's both. I, I, I'd say, in, 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 let's say that there's like kind of three steps here. I think the first step is listening, mm-hmm. right? Um, the second is taking action, and so action is responding. Not all review sites allow the hotel to respond, but the ones we, we highly encourage our clients when possible. So, if, for example, in TripAdvisor or in Yelp and, and, and a handful of others, respond to reviews, right? So, listen, respond. Um, but you also have to respond internally, as you're saying, and and that response again. The hotel industry has has, has always, as a as a whole, been uh, focused on listening and responding to clients. You know, they, they used to do it, it through mystery shopping. They used to do it with these the, the old lame paper cards. But as an industry, they're used to examining and, and, and listening and responding to guest satisfaction. So, I mean, we're not, you know, um, web when they used to call it Web 2.0. A lot of it was it was kind of acting like it was um, social or Web 2.0 or however you want to say it, was kind of somehow something new. We're not, we're just a, we're a new, better way to do what the industry's always done, yeah. is listen, respond, and the hotels that do that, and that, that's where they can get a competitive advantage. If they sure. use 
if, if they use our technology and our services and, and, and you know, and, and respond and, and, and act in an interesting way, they can improve guest satisfaction and that ultimately drives revenue. So they're all, they're, they're all kind of linked together. Listen, act, respond, increase satisfaction and ultimately revenue. Well, just compared to the media world where also customer facing, but definitely not uh, customer listening. So RJ, I want to finish on that note. Super insights. Thanks for uh, coming on the show. How can anyone uh, reach you or, or find out more, uh, follow you if you want personally uh, and or contact uh, your company? Sure, fantastic. Uh, the uh, first of all, on Twitter, we're at ReviewPro. Um, we generate a tremendous amount of content um, about social media and uh, related thing uh, topics. Um, uh, so follow us on Twitter. Um, in, you, you got a good blog on, too. Yeah, we've got a fantastic blog. Thanks. Um, so that's at ReviewPro.com, um, and you can you can find our blog there. Uh, personally, uh, you can find me um, at RJ, the initials RJ Friedlander, uh, that's Twitter, and uh, or LinkedIn, or if anyone wants to send me an email, I'm happy to receive it at rfriedlander at reviewpro.com. All right, well, great. I'll put all of that into the show notes as usual. And RJ, well, Wes, uh, buenas vacaciones a tu y tu familia. Enjoy. Thanks for being on the show, and I look forward to staying in touch. Absolutely. Thanks to you. It was a, a great conversation and appreciate your interest in talking to me and your interest in Review Pro. So thanks a lot. Super. My pleasure. Thanks for having listened to this recording of the Minter Dialogue Internet Show. You'll find the show notes on themindset.com, where you can also sign up for my weekly newsletter at forward slash subscribe. If you like the show, please rate it in iTunes and don't forget to click the handy Facebook like button or to tweet it out. In the meantime, please come join the conversation at The Mindset or catch me on Twitter at M-D-I-A-L. Happy trails. Martin, host of Pit Pass Indy. Each week, I go behind the scenes of the NTT IndyCar Series and introduce our listeners to the biggest stars of IndyCar, which features the Indianapolis 500 as its cornerstone event. The men and women that compete in IndyCar may be the bravest athletes in all of sport as danger lurks around every corner. They are able to look danger in the eye without flinching. That is why the NTT IndyCar Series features the best racing on the planet. Join me every week as we talk to the stars of IndyCar, including the legends of the Indianapolis 500 
on Pit Pass Indy from Evergreen Podcast.